Hey, so we're going to be looking in Genesis chapter 28 here in just a few moments. It's going to be on the screen. We're taking a break from our series in 1 Thessalonians. I was supposed to be out of town this past week, so we just kind of left this open to see. And uh, what I wanted to do tonight was share with you two words by way of reminder that I have been meditating on in the last few weeks. And they're here on the screen. Attention and intention. It's not a tongue twister. These are two words that I believe uh, have been really helpful in my own life with God, and perhaps they'll be helpful for you too. We're going to be looking at an ancient story about a man named Jacob, and it's recorded here in the first book of the Bible, Genesis, in chapter 28. Oh, speaking of, one more thing before we read it. I brought a basket of books There are some Bibles in there, some different kinds of Bibles and books. If you will read it, you can take it. That's my public service announcement. Y'all spend enough of your hard-earned money today at our craft fair, so there's some freebies if you're interested. All right, let's look at Genesis chapter 28 and the story of an encounter with God from a man named Jacob, beginning in verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place... He stopped for the night because the sun had set. And taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head to lay down to sleep. Y'all, times were tough back then, and you didn't have pillows, you had rocks. (laughs) Verse 12. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth, with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And there above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the east and to the west, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you, and I will watch over you, wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid, and he said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God This is the gate of heaven. So early the next morning, Jacob took that stone that he had placed under his head and he set it up as a pillar and he poured oil on top of it and he called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear, so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. This is the word of God for the people of God, and we say thanks be to God. This is an incredible story of encounter. And tonight, as I said a moment ago, we're going to be using this as a way of drilling down into these reminders of attention and intention 
in our life with God. But before we go back to this story, I want to draw your attention to this cup of water. It's an ordinary cup of water with ordinary water. And no, I'm not about to do a magic trick. I just want to use this to illustrate an incredible scientific truth about the world around us that I was only recently made aware. Do you realize that where there is sound, there is always movement? Think back to your high school physics class. I'm looking at you, high schoolers. When sound emanates from a point, it takes the form of what? Mm, A sound what? Wave. And the sound waves affect the physical environment around us. And recently I heard a researcher from MIT named Abe Davis talk about how we now have cameras that can zoom in to a fraction of a fraction of a pixel. Right? Here's a TV there. Here's a screen there. When you see each one of those squares, that's a pixel, right? A fraction of a fraction of that, these cameras can zoom in and pinpoint the most minute of movements that are imperceptible to the naked human eye. He has a video of a person's arm. And we can look, and maybe some of you that got some big old veins there can see your pulse and your heartbeat. But when they train a camera like that on this arm, you see at least a dozen places in which the most intricate of veins with all this blood are pulsating and moving in this arm. He trains to a potato chip and even to water and says that right now, though we cannot see this water moving, they attest to the reality that it is, even though we can't see it. So right now, my voice is making this water move. And if we grabbed every one of us in this room and we huddled around and looked at it, I guarantee you it doesn't look like the cup of water in the first Jurassic Park when the T-Rex is slamming around. It doesn't look to the naked eye like those ripples. And Jeremiah, dude, if you hadn't seen the first Jurassic Park, you got to. Forget these new ones. They're terrible. Side note, and I'm killing my momentum here, but any movie recommendations, send them to that man. He needs some. This dude didn't, didn't grow up watching movies. Where there is sound, there is movement, even though we can't see it. Circling back to our friend Jacob and this incredible encounter with God when he least expected it. What if I told you that the God who at the beginning of this book called Genesis spoke the world into existence? Which is fascinating because so many of the other ancient religions record story after story of great battles among the gods. But this story that we hold in our hands and call the Bible speaks of a God who spoke light and earth. What if I told you that the God who spoke everything we see and don't see into existence still speaks? What if I told you that at the beginning of this story, the God who moved over chaos and formlessness and void is still moving? What if we lived our everyday lives aware of God's presence all around us, even though we can't see it? What if you lived your everyday life 
aware of God's presence all around us? Would it not change the way you walk through the good times and the bad times like the psalm we just prayed a moment ago? What if you believe when the Scriptures say things like God is near to the brokenhearted? When all you see is brokenness, how would it change your day-to-day life to know that all around us, heaven is invading our space? Here on the screen, you'll see this thought. The world around us has conditioned us to believe that reality is only what we can experience through our senses, right? What we see what we hear, what we can taste, what we can touch, and what we can, I'm missing one. What's our other one? Smell. But then God shows up. Sometimes suddenly, sometimes gradually, we see a new reality invading our own. Earth is being filled more and more with heaven. The question is not then, is that so? But the question instead is, do I see? Do I see it? I love when Jacob says, surely God was in this place, and I was not aware of it. God came and surprised him. And you got to know this, Jacob wasn't looking for God. Many people in our world encounter God when they weren't looking for him. Jacob wasn't looking for God, but God was looking for him. God got his attention, and his life was never the same. So that brings us to these two words again, attention and intention, right? And what I mean when I say attention and intention and how it affects our everyday life is simply this. What if we lived attentive to God's presence, right? Attention to God's presence and then an intention for God's purpose. Here's what I mean. It's as simple as, God, you're here. But it's, God, you're here in my cubicle. God, you are with me. In my living room, God, you are with me when we serve the people he longs for and loves in our streets, in our neighborhoods. God, you are among these people when we go to Austin Street every month. And then when we begin to live with that kind of attention, I think it shapes us and forms us and calls us to intention to God's purpose. God, if you are here, then what would you have me do? Attention and intention. Let's get back to our friend Jacob and give you some background. Jacob is what's known as a patriarch, right? He's one of the big three dudes. There's Abraham, then Abraham has a guy named Isaac, and then Isaac has Jacob. This is the patriarchal, the ones through which all of these religions can trace back their roots. The three big religions, right? Christianity, uh, Islam, and Judaism. They all kind of claim these patriarchal people. Maybe except for Jacob. But let me back up. Jacob's dad was a guy named Isaac. And Isaac was very near death. And this father did what all these ancient fathers would do. And he gathers up his sons. And he wants to find his eldest son. And he wants to give him a blessing. Right? This is before you get the big inheritance check. In the ancient times, they wanted, while they were alive, to bestow upon them a spiritual blessing, a familial blessing. It was a big deal. 
Which is why Jacob, when he impersonated his older brother Esau and snuck in when Isaac in his old age on hospice basically couldn't make sense of him, what happens is when Jacob pretends to be Esau and steals the blessing, it is a really big deal. That's like forging the inheritance check for a million dollars. Except it's more than finances. It's about the familial blessing and the familial lands and the familial heritage and the spiritual dimension. It's every kind of dimension. We don't have a parallel for it. But Jacob, this person that God is going to find, straight up pretends to be hairy like his older brother, pretends to sound like his older brother, and pretends to cook a meal like his older brother and steals the blessing. This is a big deal. Such a big deal that when Esau finds out about it, he freaks out. He freaks out and he says straight to Jacob, I'm going to kill you. To which Jacob does what all of you would do if you were the weaker, younger brother. You say, bye, And Jacob goes. And Jacob's mom says, since you're going, why don't you go to Haran and find a wife from some of our distant relatives? So here's where we pick up our story. What we see is that Jacob is on the run. What you need to know is that Jacob's name means supplanter. Have you all heard that word supplant? That is somebody that sneaks in like Jacob did and takes or usurps something that was not rightfully his. Heads up, this is one of the heroes of the Bible. Hello? So there is good news for you. (laughs) This is another thing you need to know. You would not expect God to seek this person out. And Jacob didn't expect to find him. I want you to know that at this time, Jacob is probably in his 30s, 40s. Some people even think he's even older. He's unmarried. He has no kids. So he's driven to steal this blessing. And he's going to supplant and take all of this for himself. This is not a character that we would ordinarily, you'd think, put in our stained glass windows. He was not expecting to find God. And we are not expecting God to find him. So we pick up the story That we just read. And if you read in that verse 10, you say, when he reached a certain place, right? That's the Adam way of saying, like, or the Adam translation would be like, he went to a random place. He just went to a random place. When I read a certain place and I'm reading about this text, I thought of when Robert, Kara, and I went to Russia a few years back to visit one of our kingdom partners that is working all throughout Central Asia. And he picked us up from the airport in Moscow. And his home city was three hours away from the airport. Now, we had just gotten off of a very long flight or two. And we have never wanted McDonald's more in our lives. And he says, this is good news because there is a McDonald's on the way to my home city. And we thought it's like America where you are never within you're never further than five minutes from McDonald's, right? America is the land of a McDonald's on every corner, right? And so what we soon found out is we set out, we go for 30 minutes. There is not just not a McDonald's, there is 
no QT, no Wendy's. And I know I'm mentioning American companies, but I want you to understand this is like driving that stretch of New Mexico to Arizona like you guys did on your way to Tijuana, right? It's like driving in that stretch where you're like, oh man, I could even eat a fish sandwich from McDonald's. I'm desperate. (laughs) There was one rest stop between where we landed and where we were headed. And I want you to understand that what the author of this story wants us to realize is like, it would be that one place in the middle of nowhere that you would never expect it to happen, a random place, a certain place. And this is important because ancient thought was that the gods lived in holy places. The ancient thought was that this volcano or this waterfall, or this canyon, or this cave has a mystical, inherent property. What we see early on in the story of our faith in life with God is that God is not above showing up at the random McDonald's where you least expect it. Our God is a God that can make even a Bucky's and a Love's holy. Those who have ears to hear, you should hear. God wasn't supposed to show up in a certain place, but this is exactly what happens. So Jacob lays down because on his journey, he is tired, he is exhausted. How is he feeling? He is terrified because Esau was big and strong, and how close was he? Is he going to get me? And so he lays down on his rock pillow. And then what happens next? He has a dream. And he has a dream in which he sees a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. How many of you heard Jacob's ladder, right? We've heard this. It's not a ladder. I don't know where we came up with this, but every ancient source says, no, it's probably more like a stairway. And what you need to imagine is like Machu Picchu, where there's this large kind of stair-stepping staircase that looks like kind of a temple. We don't know. It's Jacob's dream. But that would be the closest thing in the ancient mind for what a stairway to heaven looks like. This week when Kelly texted and said, hey, what are you going to preach on? And I said, oh, Genesis 28. And uh, I said, maybe this would be good. We're kind of talking about God's presence. And I said, stairway to heaven would not be good. And Kelly like drew a line in the sand. It was like, no stairway, no Kelly. And so I'm thinking of Wayne's World where stairways denied and all this. But I know that John Brunko would have played some stairway to heaven. I know he would have pulled it off. But we're thinking of this stairway not in terms of the Led Zeppelin tune. Bill, I know you'd rock it too. But we're thinking of this space in which he's having this dream in this random place, not expecting to hear from God. And all of a sudden he sees heaven invading earth. And he sees this incredible vision where angels are descending and ascending, walking to and from God's space to our space. And what is fascinating is in these Machu Picchu-like stairways, they believed the ancients and of other religions that the God would stand on top of it and declare down to the people. But what's misleading about this text that we have reading here is when it says, and there the Lord stood above it. Really a better translation would be, no, God stood beside Jacob. And I want to pause here. Because Jacob's response when he wakes up in the middle of the night after the dream is he was afraid. I'll give you the social media translation. 
I was shook. Y'all heard that? The text says he was shaken. His mind was blown. Because heaven was closer than Jacob could have ever imagined. Heaven came and found him. What if I asked you, where is heaven? What if a second grader came up to you and said, where is heaven? Heaven is a term, a phrase that's been co-opted by our culture. You see it in shows like The Good Place. You see it in cartoons. You just see it. You hear it. It's become something that if a second grader asked you, they probably have in their mind the country club that is up there. Yes? But I want to tell you as your pastor, heaven is not up there. Heaven is God's space, and it is constantly waiting to break into our space. Now, you read in the scriptures that talks about up there and up there in the heavens, but understand that ours is a God who doesn't just stand above, he stands beside and then I want you to think about it the way a New Testament uh, scholar N.T. Wright says, heaven and earth is really more like two interlocking spheres or circles. I couldn't find any, but I wanted to bring like those 3D glasses, one with the red lens and one with the blue lens. And I want you to think of one of them as heaven or God's space, and one of them is earth or our space. And what happens sometimes in places like Jacob's dream or places when there is healing and breakthrough and vision and dreams and joy and peace that transcends understanding is heaven, God's space, intersects and overlaps with our space. And sometimes there is not, no longer just red and blue, but purple and it's a foretaste or a signpost to the day when we don't go up there, hear me, heaven comes here like this stairway. And it's going to color and transform everything we see here. No more violence, no more racism, no more hate, no more hurt. And sometimes the world as God intends it then breaks into our world now. And if you lived with a sense that instead of heaven being a place up there, if you live the way that Jesus taught us to pray, asking that heaven and his kingdom come right here, wouldn't that expand your reality? That even though you can't see this glass moving, this water moving, doesn't change the fact that it is moving there, even, albeit imperceptibly. How would it change when we prayer walk the community of apartments in West Garland where we love and serve and try to be present to our neighbors there? How would it change your perception to be attentive to the fact that God could show up in this certain place? How would it change your intention to look and partner with and act as one ready to receive God's space when it comes? What we see in this story is God transforming the unworthy person in an unimportant place, right? The non-place becomes a crucial place in the presence of God. A non-person, an exile, fugitive, cheat, supplanter, becomes a crucial person in the promise of God. How many of you have a run-of-the-mill garden variety place that you can think of in your mind that you say, man, I think I met God there? Some of you maybe have childhood places of worship 
Or some of y'all that went to youth camps shed a lot of tears and felt really bad about yourself, but you also felt really loved by God when you gave up and gave yourself to him. Do you have these places? Or, Yeah? It's an ordinary place that in your personal geography and history becomes transcendent. So that's why he takes that ordinary rock and he turns it up and wants to bear witness to, this is no longer an ordinary place in my life, in my story. And he calls this place Bethel. That place had a name, but to Jacob, the name is Bethel, house of God. Bet for house, L for God. This is God's house right here. God's reality broke in to his everyday reality, and now he's awake. So that's why he woke up. He put that stone, he poured oil on it, he consecrated it. This ordinary thing becomes an extraordinary thing because he was attentive to God's presence, and he turned around with the intention to not forget it. On my windowsill in my office, I have my own rock collection. Really, I don't know why I keep it at the four-year-old's height because she's constantly picking up the rocks and moving them around and shuffling them. But I kind of love that Nora, my four-year-old, picks them up and looks at them because it reminds me that they're there. And my rock collection are these ordinary-looking rocks that I can point to and say, this one is from Broken Bow. When I had a time with my family and another family that we never thought we would be together. And it's a sacred stone. I remember this one is from Southern California when I went and encountered God in a powerful way that has transformed me and I will never forget. And this rock is one from Mount Lebanon where we take our leaders for several times and we pray together and it gave birth to what is now the neighborhood church two years or more ago. And I have this own personal collection and I wonder, what are the ordinary things that God doesn't want you to forget? The reason why in this whole book you see the word remember, remember, remember is because we forget. And why that word attention is so important because we want to pick up the rocks and just discard them and move on. I don't think God wants us to move on that quickly. Where are your Bethels? Where are the physical spaces you've encountered the living God? I believe what this shows us, what God wants us to know, is that every inch of our world can be a Bethel. If you are attentive to his presence, and if you live with that intention that, God, I'm here, you're here, what do you want me to do next? Your living room, your workplace, our clothes closet, the homeless shelters, your car on your commute can be a Bethel. What if we lived our everyday lives aware of God's presence all around us? So we go back to our story We can get stuck and fixated on the awesome stairway to heaven. But I want to tell you this. The miracle is not the vision, right? The miracle is not that he had this dream. Here in Genesis, and then in the incarnation, when Jesus comes to earth, when heaven invades earth in the person of Jesus of Nazareth, and now in the Holy Spirit, in all of those who said yes to God, here's the miracle. God joins himself to the unworthy and the unimportant. Everyone raise your hands. 
You are unworthy and unimportant. But when God joins himself to you, you hear yourself renamed as God's child. You know yourself as one in whom God loves and is pleased to dwell. The miracle is that God joins himself to the unworthy and the unimportant, promising nothing short of the transformation of the entire world. Did you hear what he said to Jacob? Hey, dude who cheated his family and is on the run and disgraced the family name. Hey, dude that even after this encounter at Bethel will still be kind of a jerk. Spoiler alert, if you keep reading the next several chapters, Jacob's still kind of a punk. But do you know something? God gives him the family promise. I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you a people. Dude, Jacob's not even married yet. That's the next chapter. I'm going to give you kids that spread out to the four corners of the world like the dust of the earth. You say, oh, actually, no thanks. That's a lot. That's a lot. Two's good. Y'all, aren't, y'all are dead from the craft fair. Or that wasn't that funny. But here's what I love. He doesn't just get the family blessing. If you look there in what God says, he promises this exiled, fearful, anxious person his presence. I'm going to be with you. And he also says, I'm going to protect you. This man is fearing for his life. He says, I'll keep you. But he also gives him a purpose. I'm going to bring you back to this land, and I won't leave you until I've done what I promised you. How would these promises, what if God came to you and said, I will protect you, I will be with you, and I will bring you safely home? How would that change the anxiety and fear and sense of discouragement and depression, how would that change even for a moment if you were to lean in and live in and allow yourself to hear God say these over you? When we talk about that word intention, I intend to sit for a moment even though my phone, my weapon of mass distraction, my WMD is in my pocket. I intend to sit and I intend, Lord, to let all of these crazy things I've heard Pastor Adam and Pastor Kathy and others say, I'm going to intend to believe that maybe they're true, that you are with me. I'm going to intend to believe that you love me no matter what. And then attention is where you turn and you say, I just believe you're here. I want you to know that in Jesus, all of these things and more have been promised to you. Not just because God loves you, but because God wants to partner with you. And I love this shift in the story. Jacob fled thinking that his only purpose was survival. Right? When Jacob set out and bolted from his brother, all he was thinking was, I hope there's a McDonald's and that I'm not dead tomorrow. But then Jacob encountered the God who gave him a new purpose. And he said, I'm going to bless the world through your family. And Jacob had the good sense to wake up and not say, oh, that was trippy. And then still lived in fear. No, no, no. This encounter shaped the rest of his life. 
This encounter shaped the rest of his life. He woke up the next morning. He set up that pillar, and he said, God, if you're really going to do all this that you promised, I'm going to give a tenth of everything I have, which is something that Israel would continue to practice for generations, right? They get 100%, and we say, God, this is from you, so I'm going to trust you with the other 10%, right? And isn't the tithe a wild thing, right? Because it's, it's, it's as if you're living from a place that says, God, I'm going to trust that you are a God of generosity and that the world doesn't look like the world I see and tangible here. I'm going to trust that my naked eye cannot see that the world is actually operating on an axis of love and generosity. And so I can trust you enough to give 10. And if you can't give 10, can you trust them enough to give one? Can you trust them enough to give two or three? What would it look like to discipline and live in such a way that these promises might actually be true? Does your life bear out the fact that you trust that he will not leave you and that he will protect you? Does your life give witness to these promises? For Jacob, at least for one morning, he lived in light of these promises with the intent that he was gonna try to give and live as if these things are actually true. That's why we gather week in, with it, week out. That's why we gather week in, week out to remind ourselves of another reality that is worth giving our lives for and worth inviting others, no matter what they look like, sound like, smell like, where they come from. It's why we're inviting them into this new reality also. Oh, that we would be present to his presence. I wanna close with just reminding us to pay attention this week to see the ways in which God is at work in your life, to see the ways in which God is at work in your world? What would it look like for you to sit this week? When we did prayer school with one of my favorites, Brian Zond, the middle of the prayer is sitting with Jesus. That's what he calls it. And that's the hardest part of the prayer for me, to be honest, to sit with Jesus. And he says what that looks like in attention is not to think about Jesus, but to think Jesus. Do you see the difference? Not just to think about Jesus, but to think, Jesus, you're here. And in your presence is life and love and joy to tune in and say, God, you are with us. I love that when Jesus calls disciples, in a passage we looked at a few months back, he says to one of them, you think that's cool? You're going to see angels descending and ascending on what? Not the stairway to heaven, but on the person of Jesus. I think Jesus wants us to see that the place where heaven and earth meet ain't just some dream that Jacob had. It's the person of Jesus. And when we sit and we pay attention, we see in him life and love. How many of you will make this commitment with me in this church? If you're a part of this church, when you sit with the people in your neighborhood groups or you sit with others that you work with, that you live with, would you help them pay attention to? Let me tell you my pastor trick. Y'all wanna know? This is what I do when I go to lunch with you and coffee with you. I try to listen to you, and the goofy way I think of it is, let me listen in Jesus. Let me pretend that Jesus is sitting with me. And all I wanna do is mirror back what I think you need to see. I don't give you all the new, latest and greatest wise things. I try to pay attention to where God is already at work. I tried to do that this week. 
let me tell you, do you stop? Like, do you understand the awareness that like you're living and breathing, you're here and you had this and this and this, and even when it's hard here, don't you see this? How would it change your relationships to listen in Jesus and to just bear witness and name the fact that he's been there? I love meeting with people that say, man, this church, man, we do this and this, and I just, I just feel this and I feel this. And part of me wants to say, remember when we did this? Remember when they did this for you? Remember when that person did this and when this person did that? But I can't. Sometimes I have. That's because I'm not a great pastor a lot of the times. <laughs> but would you help me? Would you help each other? Pay attention to those spaces that God hasn't left you because if you only operate with the reality of what you can see, you'll miss what God wants you to see. So this is my last bit. This is the intention. God's at work in your life. Don't ignore it. God's at work in your world. Don't discount it. God is at work in our neighborhoods. God is at work in our streets. We don't have to go and drum it up. We have to join what he's doing. That's what I'm asking you to do, church. Decades later, Jacob's brother Esau does catch up to him. He does. This is decades later after this encounter in Bethel. And listen to the words of a desperate prayer that Jacob, the trickster, deceiver, kind of a jerk, kind of a punk, nobody expected God to find him. Listen to the words he prayed. O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives and I'll make you prosper. Then he says, save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau. For I'm afraid he's going to come and attack me and also the mothers of their children. But you've said to me, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. What Jacob does... In Genesis 32 and decades later, as he uses God's promise against God in the best way, God, I heard you say this. Can I trust you? And you know what happens next? Esau sees him after decades. And all the rage that he felt wanting to kill Jacob is erased. And you see Esau, as he sees his brother Jacob bowing seven times, which is his way of saying, oh crap, oh crap, oh crap, oh crap. Oh crap, but Esau runs to embrace him with forgiveness and tears of joy and hugs him. And Jacob says, uh, do you need all this other stuff? He goes, I don't need it. You're my brother, here I am. I had an encounter with God that I've shared from this stage a few times. I won't share it now, but I will say this. It's those words that I felt like I heard in a Bethel that kept me years later when times are difficult, I said, but God, you said I'm a beloved son whom you love with you. With me, you're well pleased. Don't ignore it. Don't discount it. Hold on to it in the deepest places so that when that fear looks like it's going to overtake you, what if you lived with the attention that God is with you and the intention that he's going to do what he promised? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for this day. Thank you for everything we took for granted. We want to be attentive to the fact that in you we live and move and have our being. 
We want to live in the reality right now that every breath is a gift. So would we return it to you in songs of worship, reminding our hearts of your presence. Lord, as we sing this song, may it be for us a prayer. Let us become more aware of your presence. Let us experience the glory of your goodness. Would this place be a Bethel for us? Not because we're seeking transcendental experiences, but because we're seeking you. We pray this week we'd be awake. We pray this week we'd be awake. Remind us, not of my words, remind us of your presence even now as we gather at the table. In the name of Jesus, our King, amen. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Go in peace.